everyone. Welcome back to the Book of Jude. Happy New Year. It is 2022. 2022. We've made it. We've made it. So I hope everyone has uh, has had a great holiday season for those who do celebrate. I just hope that you were surrounded by loved ones, family, friends, and, and remembering this past year and uh, as we move forward. As you know, if you have been listening, we are in the Bible series, and we let me tell you something. Congratu- there, there's more to celebrate. Congratulate yourself. It's not just a new year to celebrate, but we are past the hard stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Old Testament, that's the hard stuff. Everything forward, everything forward is going to be a piece of cake. The New Testament, a piece of cake. What we're going to talk about today, a piece of cake. We're going to have a little fun uh, talking about... Um, subjects pertaining to the Bible uh, as we move forward. But guys, the hard stuff's over. The hard stuff is over. So congratulate yourself. Pat yourself on the back if you can and uh, celebrate the fact that you have made it. If you did, if you have been with us since the first episode of the Bible series, you have made it through the hard stuff. Because today we're going to talk about what is known as the myth of the Council of Jamnia, or Yavne, or you might have heard it, Yavne, but I will say Jamnia, Council of Jamnia. This council, well, we're going to be talking about the myth, of course, but this council uh, of Jamnia, Jamnia is located off the coast of Israel. This became a place of refuge after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Actually, just so you know, Jamnia was not a council. Um, that's part of the myth, but it was it was a school. It was just a school for higher learning. The Sanhedrin would meet there and discuss theological issues. And we know this because of the Talmud. The Talmud relates that um, sometime before the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD, Rabbi uh, Ben Zakkai, Yohanan Ben Zakkai, uh, relocated to the city of Yavne or Jamnia, where he received permission from the Romans to find a, found a school of Jewish religious law. Okay, and the Mishnah, the Mishnah. Now I hope that you've been following on Facebook, Book of Jude at on, on Facebook, because I've given you the Talmud, the Mishnah, and all these things. I've given you the definitions. And I will here too, of course. I don't want to leave anyone behind. But the Mishnah, uh, compiled at the end of the second century, describes a debate over the status of some books of the Ketuvim. And again, you should know what that means. This is the writings. So we have the law. Remember the Tanakh. We have the law, the prophets, and the writings. The Ketuvim is the writings. And in particular... Uh, whether or not they rendered the hands impure. So they had a debate over the status of some books and in particular over whether or not they rendered the hands impure or unclean because Yadaim 3.5 calls attention to the debate over some books and we're going to talk about that. So why would a... Holy Scripture, let me let me break this down. They had a debate over some of the writings 
over some of the writings, uh, whether or not they made their, your hands unclean. Now, it seems kind of backwards in our head, but if, if the scriptures were holy, that it would make our hands unclean. I know that sounds a little off, but that's what they were meaning. So if it wasn't scripture, if it wasn't Theonoustos, it wouldn't make our hands unclean. It'd just be like another book. But this is how uh, they operated. So let me remind everyone what the Mishnah is, an authoritative collection of exegetical material embodying the oral tradition of Jewish law and forming the first part of the Talmud. The official resource, the Mishnah, for study in uh, A.D. 200, it was the written-down oral law comprised of six books and organized into 63 tractates. After 70 A.D., the destruction of the temple, so many have been killed, to include those who have memorized the oral law. The priesthood is basically gone, so what are they to do now? Now, the oral law, why is it so important? Uh, these are uh, words of God that uh, rabbis would uh, memorize. And so these people who, who they knew um, had the law, the oral law memorized, these people were either dying off or being killed under the persecution. So they made a declaration. Uh, one of the head rabbis made a declaration, made a made it okay for them to write down the written law. Uh, so the first part of the Talmud is the Mishnah. Okay, remember, all right, what is the Talmud? The Talmud is the body of Jewish civil and ceremonial law and legend comprising the Mishnah and the Gemara, the Gemara, which was a rabbinical commentary on the Mishnah, forming the second part of the Talmud. So what is the Talmud? Well, the first part is the Mishnah, the oral law written down, and the Gemara was the commentary of the Mishnah. All right. So uh, there are two versions of the Talmud. You have the Babylonian Talmud, and then you have the uh, earlier Talmud, the Palestinian or, or Jerusalem Talmud. Book of Jude audience, check out Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Book of Tim Jude, T-I-M-J-U-D-E. I post frequently. I give information, specific information about the uh, episodes and series that we are going through, things that I cannot fit into the episode time. Um, we can also interact. And as always, prayer requests are welcome. Love to pray for you. So Hop on over there, check us out at Book of Tim Jude. So why so important to talk about this at this moment? Now, we're jumping ahead in, in time, but this myth about the Council of Jamnia directly affects the Old Testament canon or the Hebrew canon. Uh, we're going to go through the story and how the myth got started, but it's believed. Remember remember those words. It is believed, because if you look this up, those are the types of phrases you're going to see. Uh, some believe, or it is believed, that this council took place. This is 
Of course, after the Old Testament, the intertestamental period, this is after the New Testament. And it is believed that some rabbis got together and finally, finally closed their Hebrew canon. We finally have the Old Testament canon, and it's closed. Well, if you have been listening to this series, you know that that is not true. You have heard me say from 400 to 200 B.C., they already had the accepted sacred scriptures of the Hebrew canon. So this is why I'm bringing this up because, and yes, it's a myth. So this is why I'm bringing this up. This is what you need to know because if someone tells you this, you could go on the internet right now and find information about how the Old Testament, the Hebrew canon was closed at the Council of Jamnia, and it's not true. So one text does speak of official action at Jamnia, and it gives a blanket statement that, quote-unquote, all holy scripture defile the hands. The Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes, they, on that day, both were rendered the hands unclean. And the central verse for this is Yadaim 3.5. So if a book made your hands unclean, as we said, it should be considered scripture. And so certain books made the hands unclean and other books do not. So what we find, that this portion, what I just read to you, is what caused the myth. So remember that this whole thing is from this quote, all the Holy Scripture defiles the hands, and the Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes defile the hands. So in regards to any debate or discussion about certain books, no book was ever mentioned in the sources as being excluded from canon. If you see that they're, what you're going to see is they're, they're discussing already canonized books. So, how did this myth begin? Well, we have to travel all the way to 1871. A Jewish author by the name of H.H. H. Greats, he asserted the Hebrew Bible was canonized by various rabbis in A.D. 90. And this is where the myth of the Council of Jamnia was said to take place. This theory gained popularity. However, as time moved forward, it was increasingly questioned and largely discredited. But because of greats, and also in 1892, in the canon of the Old Testament, Old, Tes Old Testament critical scholar H.E. Ryle says, Now we happen to know that a council of Jewish rabbis was held at Jamnia, not very far from Jaffa, around the year AD, around the year 90 AD, and again perhaps in 118 AD. So he's calling our attention to another council, quote unquote, in 118 AD. He continues, the suggestion has been made. Listen, the suggestion has been made that we have in the Synod of Jamnia, the official occasion on which the 
limits of the Hebrew canon were finally determined by, he, by Jewish authorities. It may, indeed, very well have happened at this time, end quote. Did you catch the language there? The suggestion has been made. It may, indeed, very well have happened at this time. I'm quoting Mr. Ryle. Doesn't sound very convincing. And lastly, we have professor of religious studies at California State, Stephen L. Harris, in Understanding the Bible, following the Roman destruction of the Jewish state, a group of distinguished rabbis assembled at Jamnia on the Palestinian coast to, de to define and consolidate the essential teachings of the Jewish religion. This included a statement on which books of the Hebrew Bible were to be accepted as sacred and authoritative. So those are the quotes for the Council of Jamnia, the myth about completing and closing the Hebrew canon. Now I'm going to read you those that disputed this myth. W.M. Christie was the first to dispute this popular theory in an article entitled The Jamnia Period in Jewish History. We also have Jack P. Lewis wrote a critique of the popular consensus entitled What Do We Mean by Yabne, a.k.a. Jamnia? Number three, Sid Lehman made an independent challenge for his University of Pennsylvania thesis published uh, later as a book in 1976. Number four, Raymond E. Brown largely supported Lewis, that's Jack Lewis, uh, in his review published in the Jerome Biblical Commentary, also appears in New Jerome Biblical Commentary as of uh, 1990, as did Lewis's commentary and discussion of the topic 1992's Anchor Bible Dictionary. Number five, Albert Sundberg Jr. summarized the crux of Lewis's argument as follows. Again, um, when we say Lewis, we're talking about Jack P. Lewis. Uh, this is a, a quote from Sundberg. Jewish sources contain echoes of debate about biblical books, but not canonicity. Uh, canonicity was not the issue and debate was not connected with Jamnia. Moreover, specific canonical discussions at Yabne is attested only for Chronicles and Song of Songs, both circulated prior to Yabne. There was vigorous debate between Beth Shammai and Beth Hillel over Chronicles and Song of Songs. Beth Hillel affirmed that both defile hands. Another quote, um, according to Lewis, the concept of the Council of Jamnia is a hypothesis to explain the canonization of the writings, the third division of the Hebrew Bible, resulting in the closing of the Hebrew canon. Repetition of assertion, just because someone says it over and over, doesn't make it true. Now, the 20th century evangelical scholar F.F. F. Bruce, if you don't know who that is, you should. F.F. F. Bruce thought that it was 
probably unwise to talk as if there was that there were a council or or even a synod of Jamnia which laid down the limits of the Old Testament canon. So that's a very strong statement from a the 20th century scholar FF F. Bruce. It's probably unwise to talk about this as if there were some type of council or synod of Jamnia. Uh, we also have from the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church in 1985, quote-unquote, no evidence to support it. No, there's no evidence to support it. And folks, don't be fooled by the name Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church. This is not a Bible-believing Christian dictionary. And lastly, Roger T. Beckwith, the Old Testament canon of the New Testament Church, commenting on the work of Jack Lewis, saying that this theory suffered a complete refutation. So Beckworth is commending Jack Lewis on his work towards um, refuting this myth. And again, I want to remind you that we wouldn't have, none of these debates would even happen if if we didn't have uh, the Talmud, uh, the portion of the Mishnah, that even spoke of something. Make no mistake about it, I'm not trying to discount that there was a school there at all. But to say that there was a um, some type of ecumenical council that determined the Hebrew canon, the closing of the canon, that that's there's no evidence to support it. So when you read the Mishnah, you you get a sense of who was there um, in the school you know, the, the, the top, the top people. So let, let's go through this list here because I'm telling you, um, once you hear this list, you're going to start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's see if, let's see if there's any bells or whistles go off here. So, uh, number one, Rabbi Johanan ben Zakai, uh, Rabbi Akiba. He was a fame, very famous rabbi, the Sanhedrin, you, now, you know this, the Sanhedrin, a 70-person Supreme Court, ruled over uh, Jerusalem. And you had two different schools. So you had uh, Beth Ha Midrash. And Beth is, I said this earlier, Beth. Beth is house. So house of, of Midrash. This was a, a teaching school that met daily at Jamnia. And also another house, uh, Sanhedrinist court that met far less frequently. They didn't meet daily. They probably met annually, maybe. Uh, these folks met to keep the festivals, the calendar. Um, remember, Jerusalem was, was decentralized. There was no more temple. Uh, Jews were always scattered, but this, this, was, this was bad. So uh, they, they were trying to meet to keep the festivals and the calendars going. Remember, J Judaism is still a religion that's going on today, and they have uh, uh, these rabbis to thank because of all the horrific things they endured. Um, they tried to, or not tried, they successfully kept it going. So this is a very, very important in uh, Jewish history. So these are the big players that were present during this time. Now, debates. Why do I say discussions and debates? Debates happened over several centuries, not just in AD 90, and they took place in multiple locations, not just Jamnia. 
Westminster Theological Journal, uh, an article by Robert C. Newman, quote, It appears that there was at least one discussion regarding canon involving two groups, Beth Shammai and Beth Hillel, and one named individual, Hananiah ben Hezekiah, which gives every indication of having occurred before the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, end quote. Now, what did he just say? The house of Shammai and Hillel, these rabbis and these schools, these rabbinic schools, they existed before the time of Jesus. Newman also states that there is evidence for two debates at Jamnia that took place in the 3rd and 4th centuries A.D., and this is, of course, after Christ. So the point here is people had debates, which we still practice today, actually, and they've been going on for centuries. And we also have discussions over books of the Bible, or in this case, the Hebrew canon. This does not hold the same weight as an ecumenical council making decisions or declarations. You might say, I know what a council is, what's ecumenical? This, is, this would be representing a number of different Christian churches, so the contrast would be a denominational council. So today we have Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, all these denominations. So each one of these denominations having meetings and discussions and laying out their game plans, that's not an ecumenical council. An ecumenical council would be the entire church represented. So if we play along in this myth, after the church, our Christian church that we know happened uh, in Acts, after the time of Jesus, the Christian church, the Acts of the Apostles, it was birthed. Um, and then A.D. 90, let's go along with the myth. All these rabbis got together, all the schools, they got together and they say, listen, this is getting out of control. Let's, uh, let's get together and, and close our canon because now there's just so many people um, just quoting things and, and saying the New Testament is from the Old Testament and all, all of Jesus' followers, he, they use the Old Testament. So let's just let's go through once again. Let's just check all the blocks, uh, check all the boxes, and let's just make sure we have it all right. And then we get, we, we get into some debates that take place. We're going to debate over Ecclesiastes or something, and we're going to debate Song of so Songs. And... Okay, in the end of the day, we, we decided, okay, let's let's take this. Well, let's say, let's assume all that happened. What does that have to do with the Christian church? It may have a lot to do with Judaism, if it actually happened. But what's that got to do? This is not ecumenical, and the only impact it's going to have is on Judaism. And all they did was confirm the Hebrew canon. So the only impacted group is Jews who practice Judaism. And it's not really a big deal because they didn't take any books out. They didn't add any books. They had debates over some books. And again, this is, I'm just going along with the myth. There's no evidence that says anything this huge is, is taking place. 
And once you look into the Mishnah, and I encourage you to look it up, you can you can look it up and read it for yourself. Obviously not in Hebrew unless you read Hebrew, but um, they have the the English, or I'm sure you can find your own language. But uh, the, what does the Mishnah tell us? Because this whole myth is from greats reading into this. So, so what did we? What what is actually in the Mishnah at this point? The rabbis affirmed both the age and authorship of the books. So, so all of the Old Testament, all the Hebrew canon, the age, the dates. And, and the authorship of the books, everything's affirmed. Like, no one had a problem with that. There's no pseudepigrapha, unknown authors. There was no question. No one's thinking like, well, you know, Ecclesiastes, I don't know who, we don't know, we really don't know who wrote that. So, no, there's none of that going on. There was no official decree. No official decree was ever handed down, nor seen as authoritative, there was no mention of a council. And finally, no debates in the Mishnah is about adding new books. So they were questioning already existing accepted books. Say, Chaplain Jude, which books were they talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Proverbs, Ezekiel, and Esther. And I'll even say this, a lot of people will just bring up Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. But I'm going to, I mean, we're going to go full into this. Uh, we're going to talk about each one and why uh, they were brought up. I'm not just going to, well, I'm not going to mention these other ones because, no, 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 we'll, we'll talk about them. Ecclesiastes was the only book that they said, you know what, we're going to charge this with heresy. So why Ecclesiastes? A negative outlook on life by Solomon. If you ever read Ecclesiastes, you understand why. So this book, this is the one that we're really going to to discuss and debate. And what they came to was that, okay, you know what? The open and the close of the book is pro-law, and we like that. So Solomon was just arguing from his perspective from, quote-unquote, under the sun. So this is not a perspective like like from God. So, you know what, this, you know, like I said, the open and closed pro law, uh, you know, it, it, you know, we're going to be okay with it. But, but this is the one that was actually looked at, uh, in a more detailed sense. Uh, number two, I said, song of songs or song of Solomon's again, he, Solomon didn't get a, uh, a fair shake here, but we all know why song of Solomon or Song of Songs, you might see. We all know why that, that you know what? If I was there, I would I would bring that up myself. <laughs> why the erotic content? Um, it's very hard. I read the Bible through every year. It's very hard to read Song of Songs, and I don't know. It's just, you know, it's, it's hard to get through. Um, number three, Proverbs. Uh, again, Solomon, <laughs> the most wisest man on earth has the most, no, uh, Proverbs, it was self-contradictory, one passage contradicts another, an example would be Proverbs 26, 4 to 5, and I think that's the one that says, you know, um, entertain a fool, and then the next verse says don't entertain a fool, but 
you know, this is wisdom literature. This is what they came to, obviously. Uh, one action in one specific situation is uh, called for, and then a different action in another. And so they said, you know what, you know, we're, let, let's move past this. This is just wisdom literature. It'll, it'll be okay. Uh, number four was Ezekiel. So it was kind of, Ezekiel was separate from the law of Moses, and it was contradicting the sacrifices of the law. And so they had a an issue with that. And when I say they, one of the schools or one of the rabbis, not not everyone I listed. And number five was Esther. And Esther is uh, very easy. You probably already know this. It's a it's a um, they would they would determine it as a secular book because the name of God doesn't appear. There's no angels. There's no prayer. Esther marries a Gentile king. So these things make sense. All of these issues have nothing to do with Jamnia. It may or it may not, but it, it there's no link. Do you understand? Like there's no evidence to link it. Like, oh, this is where it took place. So my question is, where is this decree? If this if the Council of Jamnia actually took place, there is no clear evidence that Jewish leadership held a specific council where the Old Testament was settled once and for all. If such a council did happen, there is no way to determine if it was clearly authoritative because official Judaism was in disarray as the temple had been destroyed and the Jews were scattered across the Roman Empire. Remember earlier when I said that there were no discussions in the Mishnah about any books being added into canon. This would include the Apocrypha. So the Hebrew canon rejects the Apocrypha. The Roman Catholic Church, which accepts the Apocrypha as inspired scripture, denies that such a council ever happened. See, Roman Catholic scholars and Protestant scholars will both agree that this council of Jamnia is a myth, but for two different reasons. The Apocrypha needs to be added to the Catholic canon, and the, the Catholic Church has the authority to do so, and that's why when we speak of these councils, very quickly it's going to... Um, it's going to draw our attention to the Council of Hippo, the Council of Carthage, the Council of uh, Trent. So they will say, no, 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 this Council of Jamnia, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen because they need to be able to say the Apocrypha books uh, are included. Many non-Catholic scholars who reject the Apocrypha use the Council of Jamnia to bolster their claim that the Jewish canon had been settled and closed by the end of the first century and that the early church accepted this canon as binding. So you see how this can quickly get um, confusing. The Catholic Church says this never happened because they have to add the Apocrypha in. A Protestant that doesn't really know better, they would say, oh yeah, the council happened, so you know the Apocrypha can't, can't travel in here because... This took place in 8090, so you don't get to say anything. Well, both of those are, um, both of those don't really work with everything we just went over. So, 
Roman Catholic scholars counter that there is no reason that Christians should accept the conclusions of the Council of Jamnia, if it ever happened at all, especially considering that the Jewish canon may have, may have been influenced by the Jewish rejection of Christ and animosity against the early church. See, that sounds believable. So as a reminder from our previous episodes, remember the Septuagint, the LXX, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was extensively used by early Gentile Christians, and Paul often quoted it from his letters. So the Septuagint contained the Apocrypha. Remember learning this. The Septuagint contained the Apocrypha. So Catholic scholars claim, this is what their claim was, the rabbis simply rejected it because of of Christianity and uh, the Bible of the early church, quote-unquote, was the Septuagint. That's what they used, and the Apocrypha was part of it, so it, it got a bad rap, and so it was just kind of unfairly uh, rejected. But listen to this. The Roman Catholic Church never officially affirmed the Apocrypha as inspired until the Council of Trent in 1545 1563, uh, somewhere in, in those years. This affirmation was influenced by their rejection of Protestantism, which also rejected the Apocrypha. So we have our lead-in to the next episode. We're going to be discussing the Apocrypha. And remember, I already touched on them a little bit. They're not bad. They're not uh, your—I I encourage you to read them, as I said— uh, but we're going to look and see what kind of happened there. But I wanted to do the Council of Jamnia first because I wanted this all flows in together. And just some excerpts from the Mishnah passage. Um, all holy scriptures defile the hands. Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes defiled the hands. Uh, that's calling them sacred. Uh, Rabbi Judah says, Song of Songs defile the the hands, but there is a dispute regarding Ecclesiastes. Um, another rabbi, Ecclesiastes does not defile the hands, and there is a dispute about Song of Songs. Rabbi Simeon says uh, Ecclesiastes is one of the lenient rulings of the school of Shammai and one of the strict rulings of the school of Hillel. Uh, rabbi Simeon ben Azai said, I have a tradition from the 72 elders of the Sanhedrin that on the day when Rabbi Eleazar ben uh, Azariah sorry, was appointed head of the academy, it was decided that Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes defiled the hands. They were scripture. And Rabbi uh, Akiva said, God forbid, no one in Israel disputed about Song of Songs saying that it does not defile the hands. For all of eternity in its entirety is not as worthy as the day on which Song of Songs was given to Israel. For all of the writings are holy, but Song of Songs is the holy of holies. And if they disputed it at all, they disputed it only regarding Ecclesiastes. So then Rabbi Yohanan ben Joshua, the son of Rabbi Akiba's father-in-law, as according to uh, uh, Ben Azai, 
so did they dispute and so they they determined that both Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes are included in the canon. All books which are included in the biblical canon transmit defilement to those who touch them. The school of Shammai takes the view that Ecclesiastes does not defile the hands, which is to say that it is not canonical. Yet the school of Hillel rules that Ecclesiastes does defile the hands and is part of the canon. Whew, it's like I just read the minutes from the meeting. <laughs> That's what's in the Mishnah. You might have found that boring, but I found it very entertaining. It's like they're like someone, a secretary is writing down the minutes from the meeting, and they said this, and he said that. And, and so um, this is what we have from the Mishnah. This, again, no evidence to say you know, anything that comes from the stories from Gates and, and those other two uh, about the the Council of Jamnia. Remember, the Hebrew canon was closed anywhere between 400 to 200 B.C. Thank you so much for listening to the Book of Jude. Thank you for staying with me uh, during this series. Again, the hard part is over. We're going to get into some fun things.